All right, this morning we have the privilege of starting a new series in the book of Habakkuk. And it is a three-week series through this three-chapter book. And this morning we're going to be verses 1 through 11 in chapter 1. Uh, open your Bibles up to Habakkuk chapter 1. Got, I'm going to be honest, it's kind of tough to find. It's, if you go to Matthew, okay, it's going to be five books to your left. You can check your table of contents, uh, but that's probably the easiest way to get there. And uh, it's between Nahum and Zephaniah. So, and I know, I know many of you guys have spent your, most of your quiet times in this book and you're just like, oh, Habakkuk again. But hey, here we are. We're going to do it again. Habakkuk was an unknown prophet. Uh, We we don't know much about him. Uh, Hardly anything is actually said about this man. He is... uh, Really, what he's serving as is, is a voice in the wilderness, much like John the Baptist. So we are hearing Habakkuk's voice. We are hearing his complaints. It's not as much about the man Habakkuk. He is a minor prophet, uh, which really just means that, that he's one of the 12 minor prophets. He has less writings um, versus Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, who have the major books. Those are the major prophets. This is a minor prophet. And he is a contemporary of Jeremiah. So at the same time, while Jeremiah is the prophet to Judah, so is Habakkuk. So Judah, here to give a little context, Judah and Benjamin are the two tribes that are in the south. And then they're of the 12 tribes. The 10 were in the north in Samaria. And 100 years before this, uh, the Assyrians came and destroyed basically the northern tribe of Israel. So now that all exists is the south. So it's Judah. So when you hear Judah, that's, that's what we're talking about. So 100 years earlier they fell. Now we're here early 600 BC. And I say that because 605 BC, as we know in history, the Babylonians come in and take over Judah. So that's where we're situated. Before the captivity, century after the northern tribe had just been destroyed, for their forsaking Torah, for them not being obedient to God. And now we hear, come here to the southern tribe, and they're doing the same thing over and over again. And one major teaching in this book, one major teaching, I borrowed this from a commentator, Palmer Robertson, and it is so good and clear. So I'm just going to, I'm going to quote him, that this is, this is a teaching for the whole book, and this is kind of what's going to sum up Uh, the whole book's teaching. A matured faith trusts humbly but persistently in God's design for establishing righteousness righteousness on the earth. Let me say that again. A matured faith trusts humbly but persistently in God's design for establishing righteousness on the earth. God's righteousness and justice, those, those words are, are, are interchangeable um, most of the time. So let's, let's quickly define it real easily. Righteousness or justice is acting in accordance with what is right. And it's God's standards of right. So acting in accordance with what is right. If, if, you're, if you're considered righteous or just, your actions are in alignment with what God calls right and good. That's what righteousness is. That's what 
justices. So carrying that out, that's what that looks like. So in these three chapters, what we have here is we have two cycles of complaint. Habakkuk is going to complain. God's going to respond. That's sermon one. Habakkuk's going to complain again because he doesn't like his response. God's going to respond again. That's sermon two. And then the third is Habakkuk's resolution and prayer. That's how this series is going to go. But this morning, we're in the first cycle of complaint and response. And we get to be witnesses. Bye, guys. We get to be witnesses on a journey of maturing faith. Our book of the month this month is Hind's Feet on High Places. That is taken from the very last verse of this book, which says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And essentially, the book is very much like Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you guys have ever read that or know it much. We've mentioned it before. It's an allegory. And so this book, the main character is much afraid. And her companions are sorrow and suffering. And the shepherd, God, after he saves her, is calling her to a mature faith. Yet, like her name says, she's, she's afraid. She's afraid of sorrow. She's afraid of suffering. And he tells her, I'm going to be on that mountain. This mountain is signifying a maturing faith. He says, I'll be there. I'll be around the corner. And then he presents himself. And then he says, these are my companions. They're going to take you to the top. And every once in a while, the shepherd will show up. His presence will be there right in front of her. But for most of her journey, his presence is not felt in the same way in those moments where he shows up. That's what's happening. That's what's happening with Habakkuk. That we get to watch this prophet and this people of Judah, the righteous ones who are being afflicted, we get to watch them mature in their faith and go up the mountain and watch God turn Habakkuk's feet into to hind's feet, like a deer's feet, so he can tread on high places and he can understand that even when it's confusing, I trust that God is good. That's what we're peering into as we read this book. It challenges our understanding of God and his ways, how he works. He's revealed that he works in ways like this, what we're going to read here, like you've read and heard in the book of Job, which are very similar. It's a challenge for us to not just believe once, but to believe it again and again and again. As new, confusing, perplexing circumstances arise and old, confusing circumstances cycle back in your life again, we are challenged to continue to believe that same thing, that God is good and this is, this is how he works. We're challenged to believe in God's unseen goodness. Let's, let's get into it. Let's read verses 1 through 11, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into our text. So Habakkuk 1, verse 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? 
Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So so justice goes forth perverted. And God responds. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like wind and go on. Guilty men whose own Might is their God. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. This is what you have for us this morning. And I pray that as we hear your word, as we peer into Habakkuk's complaint, his his doubt, his non-understanding of what you're doing in his life and the life of the people that he cares about. I pray that it would be the same for us this morning. That with our affliction and suffering and struggles and those that we care about and those injustices that we see going on in the world, that we would stand in the truth that you are good all of the time. Even when we don't see it, if we're not understanding it, And even when we have trouble believing it, oh, would you help our unbelief? Speak to us this morning by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like much afraid in hind's feet, Habakkuk is starting his journey up the mountain with his companions, sorrow and suffering, experiencing God in a new way. What he thought about God was being challenged. His understanding of God is not matching his experience. He can't grasp how the Almighty would allow these things to continue. I would imagine that every person in this room has gone through something like that, or is currently in a season like that, or will be in a season like that, where you cry out to God for help, and he doesn't, seem to be there. You've been persistent in prayer and there's no resolution. Injustice is all around. God's ways are being ignored and your loved ones are being hurt because of it. Or your marriage is struggling. Your kids are disobedient. Your job 
is weighing you down. Your future is not looking so bright. And it's harder and harder to stay healthy and to stay joyful. In the middle of all this, God seems absent. Or he doesn't even seem to care. But, even when you don't see it or believe it, God is working for good. Even when you don't see it or believe it, God is working for good. That's our challenge as God continues to bring our faith unto maturity. To know that he is working for good no matter how difficult it is to believe. We have two points this morning. Really, they're right out of your your Bible. Habakkuk's complaint, point number one, and then God's response. Point number one, Habakkuk's complaint. So the, the superscript here, verse number one, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So that word oracle can also be translated burden. And I actually think here that is a very proper translation. This is the burden that Habakkuk saw, that Habakkuk carried. The burden was for his people. He felt it. He cared for them. Something had been weighing on him. What's happening is that the wicked in Judah are afflicting the righteous. The wicked are abusing and harming and taking advantage of the righteous. The rich are oppressing the poor. They're taking bribes. And there's evil in the land. In God's land, God's people. And similar to Job, whereas Job's complaint was for his, his own suffering, which, which is, is good and fine. But Habakkuk's complaint here is actually for the suffering of his people. And if, if we're honest and we take an assessment, most of our complaints are, are probably for ourselves. It's a good examination to see what, what, are we, what are we praying about. Are we praying about injustices? Like we heard from Rebecca happening in Africa, in Central Africa. And to name a couple big ones, abortion and human trafficking, which are happening thousands of times every single day. As you came in, there was a little bulletin that, that Angie Cunningham put out there on the table. There's a little event tomorrow. But are we praying about these things? Are we acting? If you want to volunteer, ask Angie Cunningham to get involved and to help these women see that abortion is not the right way. It's not the good way. It's not God's design for them. Are we caring about these injustices that are happening in our neighborhoods? Every day. Justice is at the, the highest degree. It's just an assessment to, to think about as we, as we go throughout our, our weeks. Verse 2. Let's jump back in. Here, here's the burden that is unfolding with Habakkuk and, and his people. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? His burden is over the sins of God's chosen nation, which is falling away and leading those astray. And this is like a child 
who has gone prodigal and falling away, and, and his burden is for even those who are causing the injustice. Saying, you, you are forsaking God's law. You are not listening to it, and his heart goes out for them. And even more so for the abuse that they're causing for the righteous ones, the remnant that God has promised to save and preserve in his nation. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? This isn't the first time he's done this. How long shall I do this? How long shall I cry to you, Lord, and you will not even hear me? He prays and nothing happens. And he prays again and again and nothing happens. His prayers seem to go into the vastness of the darkness of the universe and nothing is coming from them. Nothing is happening. Any questions, does God care? Does he care? Is he too busy? Is my complaint, is my issue, suffering not important enough? Is he even there? Let me give some, some comfort even to this question alone of how long. These same words were actually spoken by God first. In Numbers 14.11, God says, How long will they despise me and not believe in me? God asked the same question to Moses. This is right after he just delivered them from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the sea, bringing them to their own promised land. And that's what they're asking. Can we go back to Egypt? And he says, How long will they despise me? Not believe in me. How comforting is that to know? One, that this book is inspired and preserved for us. This is not a mistake. This book did not make it in here by mistake. How, how, did, how did this get in there? Is it really okay to, to ask God and to cry out to God and say, this doesn't seem like you, God. Where are you? Well, let me tell you, yes. And when we see God's response and continue to see his response, He's very sympathetic to this question. He asked it, he understands it, and he can sympathize with, with us when we ask it in all sincerity. Where are you, God? Do you care about what is happening to me and my loved ones? And he says, violence. Violence and you will not save. God doesn't even seem to care, and he's certainly not active. Why do you not deliver the ones you promised to protect? He is calling on God's character and God's promises here. This is what you promised, to preserve a people. Of all the prayers, this is one you should answer. I am praying your will, and I am praying your promise. And I am sure that every single person here can relate to that as well. You pray for a loved one to know Christ, a family member, a friend who you've been praying for persistently, you've known for 20 years, and still their heart is hardened, they have not come to know the love of God. You're praying for a job, for someone in your family, or someone in the church, or yourself, for God to give you employment, for, for that job to be 
for you to be able to use your skills, be able to pay the bills. You're praying for these things. And they just don't seem to be lining up. They don't seem to be falling in place. You pray for your kids' hearts to be obedient, for them to understand a simple command like, go brush your teeth, go to bed. That is a simple command. Why don't you get it? Oh, but every night they don't. It, it is tough. Or you pray for your own affliction, your own suffering, injustices done at work or by a dear friend. And you just don't get it. You're just not seeing God's goodness at work in those relationships or in your life right now. Nothing seems to happen. How long, how long must this continue without your action or deliverance? That's you this morning. This text, this book is for you. Back, it continues in verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. He presses into God's character, knowing he's just. True justice never goes forth. It's only perverted when it goes forth. I know you're just. And I know that you can't stand to see this. Your law is paralyzed. It does nothing to bring back your people. It does nothing to help the land. I'm not seeing anything that says otherwise. Because right now, Habakkuk is in the valley. He's, he's in the valley like much afraid. He's seeing the peak of God's goodness, and he knows God is just. But he's just not quite there in understanding and believing that God will take care of it. God is going to work for good. He is going to deal with evil. He's just not sure how it's going to happen. And he's frustrated at the seemingly inactivity of God to carry out his righteousness on the land. His feet are not quite yet like the deer's feet. He is not ready to tread on high places. God will bring him there. Is God there? Is he doing anything? Yes. The answer is yes. We see that in God's response. Point number two, God's response. Read verse 5 with me. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Be astounded at what I am about to do. Something so different than you imagined, you won't even believe it when I tell you. God is not idle. He is not inactive. He doesn't tolerate evil. The wicked do not win, and they will not get away with their actions. That is not the God that we serve. 
God will establish his righteousness on earth. God will act for the good of those who are counted as righteous. Even if his actions are mysterious and difficult to believe. Seemingly impossible to understand and believe. He will do that work. Where more clearly do we see this than the cross? A work that many won't believe, even if told. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see, as Paul pointed out, that God is both just and the justifier. Is the law paralyzed? As Habakkuk says, no. It's working. It condemned our sins in the man of Jesus Christ. And his righteous life was credited to us. It's working. It's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block for the skeptics and the atheists to look on and say, that doesn't make any sense. It's a stumbling block for the Jews who, who knew God's character and say, that doesn't line up. That doesn't seem to be just for God to do that. And it's a stumbling block for us as we live our Christian life over and over again to, to even cope with our own sins and understanding of how can God just remove that? This doesn't make any sense. I'm not understanding this. I'm guilty. And that guilt and shame that weighs on you, it's really difficult to believe that it can be lifted. It already has been lifted. How can I really be forgiven when I continue to sin in the same old way? How can that be true? shame and the guilt that it brings how can it just be gone we struggle to continue to believe this we have to continue to go back to the gospel how could habakkuk and how could judah know that god is good what could they do to know that god is good they could look back at the exodus and they could say that it was because of the Passover lamb. It was the blood of the Passover lamb that they were brought out of slavery. And it was through the waters of the sea that they were made a new people. On the other side of the sea, they became a new people who have been redeemed, who were given promises of blessings. And God had the power to keep and to preserve and to deliver on those blessings. And when they doubted, when they doubted, like we see in this text here, they could look back and remember God's goodness towards them. How can we know God is good? Because we were delivered from slavery to sin and death by the blood of the Lamb. And we were made new by the water of baptism. We have been made new. We are a new creation that have been given promises. And all those promises, as we were just saying, find their yes in Christ. 
We have a promise of a future inheritance that can't be taken, a heavenly land that can't be stolen, and eternal treasures that will not rust or fade. That's what we can look to. We look back at the cross and see God's goodness, and we look forward to his promises, knowing that he has done this. He will continue to work for our good. That's how we can trust him. That's how we know he is good. Because he left his heavenly abode to walk the dust of earth, to take on flesh, to die on a cross, to bear the wrath of God in order to forgive us once and for all so that we can live in the presence of God forever. And he has the power to accomplish this good, which was seen in the resurrection and to sustain his people by the power of his spirit. So when we doubt his goodness, and we will, this is where we can fix our eyes. This is where we can fix our eyes, knowing that he has already accomplished the greatest good, showing true justice and mercy in one act on the cross. Justice by not allowing evil deeds to go unpunished, but condemning them in his son. And mercy. Mercy for all of those who deserve God's wrath. And yet all they receive is grace and mercy. You're here this morning and you have not believed. If you, if you do not know this mercy and you say that's, that's just unfair, I, I, don't, I don't even, I don't get it. It doesn't seem to be like God is working for good. I look out of the world, I'm not seeing it or experiencing it. Well, at one moment in history, God did the greatest good. And he offers that to you this morning by faith to receive his grace by the blood of the Lamb. He offers that to you this morning. Come talk to me. Come talk to Kyle or Jeff afterwards if you have questions about that. How can, how can God be good when all I see is evil? All I see is bad. All I've ever experienced in my entire life is bad and suffering. How can this God be good? Help me to put my trust into this God. Well, that's where we look to remember the cross. When God doesn't seem to be working for good in my life right now. Well, he doesn't promise a trouble free marriage, or an easy career, or clarity in all of our choices, or healthy bodies and minds, but he does promise to preserve our souls until the end. Let me just say this, this, this concept, this book was never more true in my life than, than 10 years ago, and I've, I've shared small portions of this, but it was, it was a moment, it was a year, a season of depression, of the most challenging physical suffering I have ever been through, and it came out of nowhere. 
and I had no idea what caused it, and I had no clue why God was allowing it to happen when I knew that he could take it away in an instant. And I, I cried out every single day, not understanding. Nothing was changing. And I didn't understand it then. God was maturing my faith. Because now I can, I can look back and see. I can see that he was bringing me to this place of prayer. If I did not have that affliction, I'm telling you right now, I would have not gone to him in prayer as much as I did. I would not have cried out to him as much as I did. I would not have depended on him the way I did. And I can look back 10 years ago and see that God was good. I can see it now. My faith is not there yet, but it it has matured in the last decade. And I can see God using that affliction and continued affliction even in my own life to bring good out of it. I can see that a, a little bit more clearly now. Because, because he's good all the time. Sometimes that goodness, sometimes that preservation doesn't look like we want it to. Not even close. And it certainly didn't for Habakkuk. Read with me verse 6. For behold, that means listen, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. We'll see next week. We'll see next week that Habakkuk does not like this response. He is not happy to hear this. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians, right? The ones who are going to come in with, with Nebuchadnezzar shortly, who are going to bring Judah into captivity and destroy everything in their sight. These were the worst kinds of people. Think for a second, for Star Wars fans, the Empire. Okay? Think them. Who just go out looking to smother any hope of the rebellion or resistance, and they're doing it with complete annihilation. The Babylonians have gone to the dark side. They are destroying their enemies without mercy. And here's the summary. We read it earlier, but here's the summary of verses 6 through 11, which really just are a description of these kinds of people. They take people's homes. They create their own justice system. They have the most fearsome and powerful military and are coming only to obliterate. They take prisoners like one would scoop up sand. They laugh at other nations and kings. And they sweep through your town like the wind. This is a description of who God is raising up. This is the instrument that God has decided to use to bring judgment upon the unrighteous and loving discipline to his people. He is raising them up. This isn't a mistake. This shows the sovereignty of God. This shows the sovereignty of God that even a nation like this is under his control. 
They are not outside of his control. This is a challenge to us, but it is what God's word says. It is what he is doing. How much more are your circumstances under his control? When you say with Habakkuk, do you even hear my cries for help? I know you. I know you hate injustice, and I know you love and care for your sons and daughters, but that's not what I'm seeing in my life. It's not what I'm experiencing. All I experience is pain and confusion and doubt and worry and loneliness. I'm not seeing your goodness. When that happens, look at the crucifixion and resurrection and know your deepest troubles. Your deepest problem has already been dealt with. What is it that's plaguing you this morning? This week? Or this year? What's the thing that doesn't seem to be making any sense? Or making any progress? Think about that thing. No. And know that God is working for good in that very thing that you cannot understand. That you just don't get. Pray and ask how long. And let him mature your faith. Let him make your feet like the deer so that you can tread on high places. Let him do that. Pray to him. And persist in that. Persist in that humble faith, knowing that he will establish his righteousness on the land and into your life. Because God is good all the time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And we trust, God, that, that in our moments of pain, in our not understanding of, of your goodness or not believing that you care. Oh God, I, I pray that you would remind us of the work that you did on the cross, that you condemned sin in your son and that you gave us an eternal inheritance that can't be taken away. Let us go back to that. Let us see that you're good. And let us trust in the promises of a future inheritance and a future eternity spent with you in paradise. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us in our unbelief to know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen.